Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, ironradio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a coach. I run Strength Guild, USSF, amongst other things. This is Jarrell Barber. I'm from Kansas City. I'm owner of CrossFit Olathe. Um, this weekend, we pretty much have everything going on. So I'm at a weightlifting meet right now. I have some CrossFitters out in Minnesota doing stuff. Cool. Uh, just a physical culture coach is what I want to say. There you go. You know, that's an old school term. I used to hear physical culture a lot. And I don't hear that as much anymore. It's a, it's a good word, though. Good term. Okay. Uh, we've got news, uh, listener mail, some stuff like that. I've also got, I promised everyone, a little literature review on things that might help with muscle recovery, especially sore muscles. And I touched on this a few weeks ago, and I've been a little remiss, so I'm going to get to that. And then we'll all chime in on that one, too. Let's start with the listener mail. Um Strength and Muscle Sport News. This is from Pete uh, from California. He entitled it The Big Lie and Iron Radio episode number 121. Now, he's not ripping on us, but bear with me. He says, uh, A recent listen to Iron Radio coincidentally correlated with my read of Danny Shugart's recent article on The Big Lie of Implied Results in Natural Bodybuilding. The author's thesis is that claims made by bodybuilding gurus and other such invented titles mislead the readers. Prospective clients are given the premise that training and discipline result in the types of results that we see in magazines and online videos. Uh, Episode 121 of Iron Radio was an articulation of this very coherent criticism, and I thought you would appreciate it. Uh, Please share with the other guys. Thank you for your excellent show, and I look forward to listening. All right, uh, let's get into this. I did go read this, uh, and we've had Danny Shugart on the show before, and she's a straight shooter, uh, but that's almost what surprised me, right? Uh, I suppose an uncharitable observer would say, why did a a website like T Nation, you know, testosterone.com, let her point such fingers at, you know, guys that were obviously – not just the product of the supplements that are being sold, but, you know, obviously of ergogenic drugs, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, anabolic drugs. I don't know. Uh, Phil, what do you think? Yeah, I don't I mean, the funny thing was, I mean, that site almost started, if, for people who don't know, um, it's just, uh, it, it started as like a home for people on <laughs> anabolic drugs mm-hmm. a, a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what was it? Muscle Media 2000 turned into that kind of, you know, kind of an offshoot. Kind of, yeah, with TC way. and, yeah. Um, and it, which was one of the first magazines that, like, actually talked about that issue. And I don't know. The, the problem I had was that basically, I mean, if, if they did what she's talking about, like 97% of their articles would have to be taken down. <laughs> you know, she right. just, like, bashed most of their writers. So well, she talks about invented titles and you know basically the f- physiques being put forward yeah. uh, in such a way that almost like well you can buy these supplements and look like this and make well, no mistake this is not a new is, this is yeah. not a new thing right no I mean and that that is a, an unfortunate part of the industry I mean it just is and I don't think it ever it will ever stop and I mean I guess the educated consumer knows that I suppose there's fourteen year old kids out there that have no clue um, yeah. But I mean, I don't know what it's. Uh, I don't know, it seems like a little late for I that. Mean, but it's just it's the same in weightlifting. I mean, look at all the seminars that even I go to. Mm-hmm. They're all you know. Well, I've never been to the Klokov seminar, but then Klokov is you know snatching four hundred pounds and ripped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, just by 
you know, eating clean or something, you know, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's, it's kind of the same in every sport, mm-hmm. but that's mostly because every sport at the highest level, there's going to be drugs involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that it doesn't, that by itself, the, the crazy thing is that by itself doesn't discredit anyone's knowledge. Yes. Like just because an author who uses is giving advice to people who are natural, that doesn't like, there's no difference. I do think there is a level of disconnect at a certain point where if you're on drugs, the way you think about what happens and progress is made mm-hmm. is different. Good point. Yep. You don't, you don't have to experience, you know, the type of volume that somebody else does. Like, I think if you're natural, you have to do more training volume for similar, if not even like a smidgen of the results. So if that's the case, when you, all you have to do is, you know, squat once a week and you all of a sudden squat a thousand, you know, or the powerlifters should suggest that, right? Where they're squatting once, twice a week, maybe. Uh, our lifters, we have to squat three days a week at least to make progress. Right. You know, so I do think there's a disconnect, but I don't, I also don't think it, it dis like just completely disregards all the information they put forward. No, that's a good point. I mean, you know, first of all, Danny's courageous for doing this. I think it just—I'm almost surprised they ran this. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. blog, and it, good on them for letting her express this opinion. Because, like I said, they're not the only ones uh, doing this in the industry. And that's a good point, Jarrell. Just because somebody is on doesn't mean there's some ignorant juice head that has nothing to offer. That's that's equally foolish. You know, mm-hmm. L- like you said, Phil, you've almost got to have this like educated consumer idea that. Listen, he looks that way for a certain reason. He mm-hmm. pro- he may know what he's doing, but we both know there are guys that look pretty phenomenal who really don't know what they're doing. Yes. You know, and so there's and, it's you that's why you have to be almost educated like is this yeah. guy legitimate despite the fact that he's 270 with single digit body fat mm-hmm. or is he really just a product of yeah. of, you know, the pharma- pharmaceuticals, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yep. to take it, I mean, I know neither of these guys, like, personally, but, you know, <laughs> one of the, like, if I were to choose, if I had to choose between, like, I, I don't know, I mean, Dorian Yates and, like, a recent competitor to learn from, um, yeah, I mean, Dorian, yeah, he was he was a user, but he knew his shit, too. And he know? was honest I mean, about things, though, you know, he'd be yes, like. Yes, he was. He was like, you know, like, when they asked him, he's like, you know, what was his comment? It was like, y- you and I both know I can't answer that. Exactly. Type of thing. Yep. And. You know, so it was refreshing, though, you know, because yeah. he he wasn't saying you can look just like me if you and then reach for a bottle of something. And <laughs> if you just pop these, you know, or take this powder, um, because that's where in a way, I think that's one of the reasons that we're we do iron radio. You know, let's get some real information out there to people, help them become that educated consumer, you know, but it's just such a minefield because like, Jarrell, you had a good point about you need more volume to grow. And yet. That's a minefield in itself because if you're not heavily enhanced and you can't recuperate, you can only go so far on the volume meter too before you're destroying yourself. Like in bodybuilding, you know, these routines of the champions that they'll put in some of these magazines, you know, they're doing like 28 sets for back and and a, a natural guy can't do that. Or even a mildly enhanced guy, you know, cannot pull off some of these and they present them out there like this works for me so it'll work for you. And, you know, it goes back to what you were saying, too, there. It affects their thinking. Like, they think everybody can recover like that, or they think everybody can do that. And, well, not so much, mm-hmm. you know. Anyway. Yeah, so The one thing, I, the one, you know, caveat, because I did read the article. I, so it's, it's a little bit, I don't know, almost misleading, because it's, I honestly think it's not talking necessarily about authors, rather kind of that, the whole new wave of Instagram coaches like where it's very, very, you know, it's superficial. Like all you get is pictures and like the perfect pictures and perfect filters and all that stuff. And then people are like, Oh my God, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And then they're like, well, I just do this. And then it's some bullshit that excludes the drugs, you know? Right. Yeah. People who write articles usually like a lot of them are actually fairly honest if they're like writing articles on the internet. And sometimes they're not or they won't discuss it. Right, they avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. If you're reading, you know, on a site and then like T Nation has the forums where you can actually kind of find out and people will be honest in the forums, as we all know. But the thing is, 
like if the you have a superficial test, right? If I look at your pictures or something, or maybe these little videos that you're posting, I'm like, oh my god, I want to do that. And then they send you back some program or something like that. That's like, here's what I do, and there's no no concept whatsoever for newbies or new people, like jumping on there and looking at a picture and be like, well, obviously this is what works, so I'm going to do this. Right. They make the association. That's why there are places like that. Ask for evidence. We had a guy from uh, those guys on before, and because the average person, they're not going to boil everything down to, you know, does the way this guy look, is the way he looks, is that direct evidence of efficacy or the safety of his training program or of his supplement regime? You know, it's it, it, people make that assumption that he looks that way, uh, and but there's no act, there's no actual evidence of safety or effectiveness. It's just because of the way the guy looks or. You know, or that he knows what he's talking about because he's so built. And yet at the same time, yeah, the flip side is academics sometimes rip on these guys as sort of meatheads. And they because they look so good, it's clearly pharmaceuticals and they must know nothing. And that's not true either. So I know kind of goes back to that. Like you said, Phil, the educated reader, uh, you just have to sort of try to figure it out for yourself as you read through this stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that was one thing uh, from the listener mail. Uh, now, on to this muscle recovery thing. Uh, I'll read just a few snippets here that I've highlighted from a couple of different things. So this isn't just nutritional. A lot of this is physical stuff. So if you lift to the point that you're really sore or, you know, like we were just talking about, if you're going to squat three times a week and you're not enhanced in some way, uh, how do you get back at it so, you you know, you can continue to train? So. This first one is a – it's sort of a general review. It's called Delayed Onset Muscle Soreness, Treatment Strategies, and Performance Factors. This is from Chung and colleagues, Sports Med 2003. So this is a little bit older, but uh, these studies span a, a pretty big period. Uh, they talk about how you know delayed onset muscle soreness is familiar for um, – certainly for novice people, but even for more elite people. Uh, if you know if they're doing something new, they're adding some kind of overload in some way, and they talk about it's not just. Um, now they mention lactic acid, and I think that word gets abused a lot. Lactate and that immediate muscle burning sensation—that's really got very little, if anything, to do with muscle soreness. Uh, but it says DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness, can affect athletic performance by causing a reduction in joint range of motion, shock attenuation, and peak torque. Alterations in muscle sequence recruitment patterns can also occur, causing unaccustomed stress on muscles and tendons. In other words, if you're really sore, you could be prone to being injured because you just don't have that sort of range of motion and, you know, you're firing muscle patterns wrong. It says non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs have demonstrated dose-dependent effects that may also be influenced by the time of administration. And listeners know... Uh, Phil and I are both big fans of ibuprofen, mm-hmm. <laughs> actually. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been some talk in the past that ibuprofen, though, when overdone, might interfere on some level with the muscle remodeling, like the resolution process of getting things rebuilt. Um, but in practical terms, and Phil, I'm guessing you agree with me, but uh, the pros outweigh the cons. I don't think anybody's mm-hmm. going to not grow com- because they're on ibuprofen, yeah. you know. Uh, in fact, we had Nick Bird on here, who's a, a protein synthesis expert, and he said, oh, yeah, temporarily uh, it might suppress protein synthesis a little bit, but when it leaves the system, there's like this rebound effect. So if anything, ibuprofen might even be a mild anabolic, mm-hmm. and I found that very interesting. But here we're talking about the initial inflammation. It says cryotherapy, stretching, homeopathy, and I'm going to be honest with everybody, I'm not a big fan of homeopathy at all. Um Ultrasound, electrical current modalities uh, have demonstrated no effect on the alleviation of muscle soreness. It says exercise is the most effective means at alleviating pain during DOMS. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Um, But that analgesic effect is temporary. So there's lots of things to think about here. uh, And these next few papers are about that. This next one is it's the effect of contrast water therapy. On symptoms of delayed onset muscle soreness. This is by Vale and colleagues, Strength Conditioning Research 2007. So they looked at contrast water therapy, so sort of hot, cold water uh, back and forth. They made people really sore with leg presses. They did five sets of 10 at a, with 140% of their one rep max. 
So this is a really heavy load that they can't even push the the carriage of the leg press up, right? They get help pushing it up, and then they lower it down five sets of ten, so they were probably rocked. And then they looked at a whole bunch of stuff. Creatine kinase is an enzyme, of course, it spills out of sore muscles. Um, they asked them about pain. They measured their thigh volume to try to get it inflammation. And then they looked at squat strength and weighted jump performance. It says, interestingly, when they were looking at some of this stuff at uh, one, two, and three days into recovery, uh, isometric force production with the uh, hot-cold water contrast therapy actually was not reduced. But the, the people who didn't get any of the therapy, they did get a 15 to 23% reduction in strength. Um, again, because they're rocked, you know, they're really sore. And apparently the hot-cold water contrast uh, really helped with that. Uh, it says contrast water therapy was associated with smaller reduction in strength, uh, faster restoration of strength, and power. Uh, as measured with isometric force and jump squat. So maybe something going on there with the hot, cold water. And I've always wondered about that because I've done that before, and I've heard athletes talk about it. But uh, So there's one from Vale and colleagues about that. Next up, vibration therapy and delayed onset muscle soreness. This is by Vekar, V-E-Q-A-R, Journal of Clinical Diagnostic Research. So they talk about how DOMS is actually due to microscopic muscle tears, and it increases the risk of injury. And we've already touched on that a little bit because of range of motion and weakness and that sort of thing. Uh, they say, in fact, a reduced range of motion during soreness may lead to the incapability or the efficiency to absorb shock, etc. cetera. Uh, a range of interventions have been aimed at trying to decrease DOMS, and they're focusing on vibration. It says it could represent an effective uh, intervention. Vibration can be both local or whole body. And I can tell you, uh, Pete Lemon, when, uh, my old advisor, he looks at vibration, uh, whole body vibration on those vibration platforms. And it does some pretty cool stuff for like uh, neuromuscular activation and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but here they're talking about DOMS. Let's see. Vibration therapy improves muscular strength, power development, kinesthetic awareness, uh, decreased muscle soreness, Increased range of motion and increased blood flow under the skin. Uh, so I don't know. So vibration therapy, either locally applied to the sore muscle or whole body, uh, there's some interesting, helpful stuff there. Again, that's 2014. Just a couple more. Uh, massage. Effects of massage on delayed onset muscle soreness, swelling, and recovery of muscle function. This is from Zanudin, Journal of Athletic Training, 2005. They looked at six different things. And you really have to get at this, right? There's strength loss, there's soreness, there's inflammation, there's oxidative damage. And gosh, they did this for 14 days post-exercise, uh, just continually in men and women. And that was sort of refreshing too. And ladies that are listening, please know women don't get uh, the same levels of muscle damage uh, when you look at enzymes spilling into the blood and that sort of thing as men. Estrogen is actually protective against this stuff. In fact, I think if there was ever a, a competition of some kind that emphasized robustness against muscle soreness and damage, women would be the best in the world at that probably. Uh, but they use 10 sets of six reps of isokinetic. So it's on a special device. It spins at a certain speed. Um, delayed onset muscle soreness was significantly less for the massage condition at the peak. Uh, whether they were, they looked at this different ways, either flexing at the elbow, elbow joint or palpating and kind of poking at it. Uh, and that kind of thing. So massage may help with some things, um, but not others, because the data is kind of mixed. But they said reduce DOMS, at least the pain part, by 30%. And then this last one, and I'm curious what you guys think about this. Uh, light concentric exercise, and it ha apparently has a temporary analgesic effect on um, soreness. So they took 14 people. They did... Uh, Two bouts of 60 maximal eccentric contractions, again, with the elbow flexors, uh, essentially biceps. And then they looked uh, one, two, three, and four days after they brutalized these guys. It says there was a significant decrease in muscle soreness in the group that did some of the light concentric stuff. Basically, get moving again, you know, instead of just mm -hmm. sitting there. 40% uh, drops in soreness and tenderness. Uh, these results suggest that light concentric 
exercise has a temporary analgesic effect on DOMS, but really no effect on the recovery from muscle damage per se. So a lot of this stuff, and you know what, you could throw in the antioxidant stuff too. I've seen some interesting data on <coughs> vitamin E analogs, tart cherry. Uh, some of the antioxidants might help with some of the uh, the free radical and inflammatory processes that happen not not immediately after the bout, but like 24, 48 hours later. So there could be some nutritional things there as well. So sorry for the long-windedness, but that's the little review I was going to suggest uh, so Jarrell, do you do anything proactive with you yourself or your clients? I mean, it seems like a lot of these modalities for helping with soreness and recovery, they help some things and not others. Uh, what do you do? Uh, really, to be honest, like if you can, if you can afford the massage stuff, like that's obviously the best, but I, as far as my experience, like I almost think muscle soreness and even that recovery aspect comes down to blood flow in general. Mm-hmm. I almost think even with all the studies mentioned, the one thing that is like connecting the dots on all those is some, in some variation, blood flow. Um, in like a particular movement, say like squats. So you're really sore from squats on Monday, Tuesday, I think you should go in and warm up squats. Like you don't have to hit heavy weights or anything like that, mm-hmm. or even just use empty bar, maybe some goblet squats. But just to break up some of that tension and get some blood flow to the area again, it was perfect. All right, so that's the only one we really have access to. Mm-hmm. There's uh, in I'll say in CrossFit in general, but I think it's just athletic wise. I forget what they're called, but like these like leg sleeves that essentially massage the legs. And one thing, all, like all the athletes who've ever used them, I see, just swear by these things, mostly because uh, it's really just kind of improving and increasing the blood flow, well, in their opinion, back to the heart. Like, but, And I think that's kind of what it comes down to. Is like For us, the more we can kind of do on a certain movement, the less sore you'll ever get from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I get that sort of... We try to increase that capacity very soon. Mm-hmm. So more you squat, the more you'll be able to squat eventually if you can kind of like string, like piece together the movements. So eventually it'll be really hard to get sore doing squats. You yep. do it often enough. Yeah. We actually measured that in the lab once. We we measured creatine kinase, one of those damage markers, and we did it four times over the course of like a year and a half. And, you know, the first time we were doing, I think we did five sets of five with 90% of one rep max, all negatives in the squat and bench. And these guys were dumping these damage markers like crazy, like creatine kinase and ALT and AST and these different enzymes that are supposed to stay in your muscles, but when they're sore, they spill out. And uh, sure enough, I mean, they got that sort of what's called that armor plating effect, and that's kind of what you're talking about. Like the subsequent, the, the same exercise bout, as brutal as it was, it just didn't produce nearly as much damage like the second, third, fourth time, you know, that they did it. So that sort of um, almost prophylactic approach, you know, where you're teaching the body, hey, just step up and armor plate a little bit. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me too. You know, at the same time though, you know, like a lot of times bodybuilders are purposely using lots of negatives, you know, eccentric contractions. They're trying to do as much damage as they can. And whether that's with more, in you know, more weight and intensity or m- more volume, uh, so it's, it's sort of a struggle and I may probably sports specific here, but Phil, you've been at this a long time. What about you? No, I agree. I mean, one of the things, even if it's like after a squat session, go push a sled, things like that, because a sled is essentially all concentric. Um, yeah, just get in there and move. I mean, the worst thing you can do is go sit on the couch. <laughs> you yeah. just lock up even more. So, I mean, even if it's go out and go for a walk, go for a hike, drag a sled, things like that, get out and move around, and you seem to heal a, a, a ton faster. So Right. You know, it's funny. My approach was always very nutritional. Uh, I would try to eat a lot. And I'm back in the day, I remember the 80s and 90s, there were guys like John Perillo, and he would say, there's no such thing as overtraining. Uh, there's no issues with recovery. It's just under eating. But that's, yeah. not, that's not entirely accurate, right? I mean, when you eat an enormous amount of carbohydrates, let's say, if your whole body's rocked with soreness, 
those muscles don't take up carbohydrates and store them as glycogen very well. I mean, that's been well documented since probably the early 80s or even before. I mean, Mike Sherman, Kevin Yurashevsky, John Ivey, they've all looked at that stuff. And so just pounding tons of carbs, let's say, I'm not sure that's really going to work. You know, there there is a time component here. And uh, it, it's funny that you guys take that very physical approach, you know, and I tend to think like, Let's get the protein in there, um, antioxidants. Because to me, it's the blood flow has got to be carrying in good stuff, you know, whether it's, I don't know, uh, antioxidant kinds of things like I was mentioning or insulin and amino acids or testosterone, whatever it might be. There's got to be something like to bring in the good stuff as you get out the bad. Yeah. And in fact, that Priscilla Clarkson, she was sort of the queen of uh, this muscle damage stuff from the nerd side of things, but she actually looked at people who did what you just said, Phil, was the kind of the cardinal sin. That just They got rocked, and then they immobilized them. And yeah. their creatine kinase, and a lot of these damage markers, they didn't go up. But I don't think that was seen as a good thing. In other words, she was kind of saying they're just stagnant, and you, kind of, you really need that movement to flush things out and out with the old and with the new. Yeah. You know. Well, and I mean, we see this in our lifters, too. I mean, I've had lifters over the years where it's like, okay, you just finished your hard training cycle. We got to meet in a week, take the week totally off. And then, you know, over the years, learn that it's better to have them just come in and move around light. light. You know, they'll recover better by coming in and moving around, doing those same movements, but, you know, maybe 50% or something like that. Right. You know, and yep. They end up being less stiff, less sore, and ready to go at the end of the week when the meat comes. Mm -hmm. Now, that one paper was suggesting that helps with the soreness, but it might not necessarily help with, like, you know, the actual micro tears and and that sort of stuff. That takes time. But it still sounds like a really good idea. Like you said, that I think uh, any strength coach or a guy who's interested in strength, the real mistake would be to try to lift heavy when you're that sore because you've already done the damage. Let yourself grow. Let yourself improve a little. And at the same time, you're reducing the risk of injury uh, that might happen if you're trying to throw a bunch of load on a muscle that's not firing properly, you know, a group of muscles. But I would add to that is I, essentially what we found in, in mostly strength athletes is what we will deal with is their ability. Like I include aerobic work for, you know, Phil talking about sled drags and stuff, but we include like aerodyne, rowing, you know, light kettlebell swings and stuff like that mm-hmm. it's almost the better you are at that stuff the better you can recover yeah yeah certain aerobic base kind of you know yeah i mean nothing nothing longer than like 2k at most on a rower for you know our weightlifters but mostly like some 500s like easy 500s here and there like the more kind of adapt you are to that like without dying right the better off you are in terms of recovery and it's not like it just seems like increased blood flow seems to be, for us, the answer. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, really, that's all I can affect. So once they leave the gym, you know, I can't harp on them about too much recovery stuff because they won't do it. So oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's always the challenge with nutritionists. You know, I've always told strength coaches, I'm almost jealous of of you guys because you can sort of say, "Do this now," or and they and they, they do something well, you can pat them on the back, nice job, but they can't have a little like angel you know, Lonnie on the shoulder going, yay for you, you ate some extra chicken breasts, you know, and you can't do that. You're not there. So, you know, you just got to hope they they do it, I guess. Okay, Uh, let's go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about mind in the muscle. Uh, It's an old Tom Platt's phrase, but I suppose for you guys, it might be more mind in the movement. Uh, But we'll, we'll be right back. This is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press and protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, 
because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for sixty nine U.S. dollars. So that's thirty one percent off the ninety nine ninety five uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. Sixty nine dollars. I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it uh, lower down the page. They have one hundred and eighty day rentals and one year rentals, so you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> Weekly Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, folks, we're back. Uh, it's uh, Lonnie and Coach Stevens and Coach Barber, and we're going to talk about the this uh, sort of mind games, as Jarrell was saying, a mind in the muscle, right, or mind in the movement. And I've got a cool Tom Platt's quote here somewhere uh, where he's talking about it's almost Buddhist what he was talking about, focusing on sensations and being in the moment, you know, the handles and the – the tension on the muscle and that sort of thing. And in bodybuilding, I think that's very important, of course, because in bodybuilding, it's about the muscle. And I don't know if any of our listeners have watched some old videos of Tom Platts, but he was really into that, right? So he'd be doing like flies and you'd watch him or chins and he'd do it uh, where he's sort of bobbing in a particular range of motion, just tugging on a muscle and just focusing on it so intensely. It, it almost looked strange. Um, Striving after an ideal in the sense that you're molding your physique, right? Uh, you're developing your body, uh, changing the, the contours and shapes of the muscles so it looks uh, a certain way you want it to look, a certain mental perception you perceive, trying to uh, gain that or, or trying to make yourself into that perception. There's a lot of mental training involved in, in body movement. I think also you're cultivating a feeling inside. Uh, you're trying, you have a a need, a calling, much like a priest, had this inert need to do something that you must do, and you'll not be happy unless it's fulfilled, and that's where I'm at, that's why I'm here today. In fact, I, cert I believe very much that bodybuilding is more mental than physical. Uh, you're concerned with, with this, first of all, this mental projection, of what you want to look like, what you want to be like, as far as the contour and shape of your body. You're concerned with daily feelings of, of exercises and, and, and handles and, and muscles. You're concerned with putting your mind in the muscle. So that sort of begged the question, if that's a good thing, and I think it is. I mean, I, to me, it's very important. To me, workouts are almost a meditation like that. You're focusing on something very intensely. But I wonder if that m differs movement by movement. So, uh, Jarrell, I don't know how much background you've got with specifically like focusing on muscle hypertrophy and bodybuilding side of things versus the Olympic. Of course, to me, Olympic lifting is so skill oriented and that sort of thing. But is there something that you um, find easier to kind of get the mind where you want it to be for certain movements versus others? Uh, I, well, 
I have a little bit of experience because my exercise physiology professor, that's what he was very, very big into. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. It's all about hypertrophy. But for for us, I'd say weightlifting is almost only that, right? So we care about your muscles kind of, but really it's everything is the movement, mm-hmm. right? And powerlifting, I think, is kind of a hybrid between the two where you want a little bit of both. But you watch weightlifting and you have these what I would call like skinny nerds lifting world record poundages. You know, I don't see as much of it anymore. But there is, you know, a, a large following of people who are not really that jacked, but are winning medals, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, it's really about practice. So we treat weightlifting the same way we would treat uh like a golf swing. Right? It's pretty similar in the way we approach it it's just that the weights change that's the the main difference um so for us it's about clearing the mind so we practice tons and tons and tons of reps and then when you get to the point like today we're at competition stuff the main thing i'll be telling my athletes is to relax calm down clear your mind look at this and take your brain out of it uh because we really want to teach your body to just habitually do the right motion and then you just refer to it by instinct. Yeah. So up to a point in training, we think about it a lot. Like we try to connect everything. But the lifts for us, they happen so fast that you have to just kind of relax. Almost like a martial art. Yes. Where you're yep. trying to clear the mind versus, you know, think methodically about every little thing that you're doing. Like it has to become instinctual for us. Right. I was always actually taught that when you're under stress, you revert to your training. And that's the reason for so much repetition in the martial arts. You know, so, yeah, I, the more I understand about uh, weightlifting, the more similarities I see with that, you know. So, yeah, and that's what I was going to say. I mean, as far as especially Olympic weightlifting goes, there's like a learning phase where it is very much there's that mind muscle connection. But then you go to the other end and it's the competitive phase and it's you rely on that that training that that those mm-hmm. times and reps where you were thinking about hitting the exact right positions at the right time and feeling the right thing and then you've got to shut it off and just trust that and you know those 10,000 reps just have to they just have to happen at this point yeah <laughs> right so there's there's one um, research article that it was actually our exercise physiology professor who presented it to us it was like uh, so think about the bench press and, you know, one thing we always talk about on bench press is, like, getting your triceps involved, right? So, and, and women are bad about, like, they shift the elbows out and get the delts involved way too early. Uh-huh. And, you know, how do you fix that? Well, you know, west side, they do tons of tricep work, right? But research suggests that you could actually, like, if you tell people to concentrate on flexing their triceps, over time, they'll just... They'll do it, and then they'll activate their triceps more. Right. I saw that paper, actually. Uh, one of my students last year, he presented that in class. Uh, they, yeah, they told him to focus on the pecs more or on the triceps more, and they had uh, – I don't know if this is the same one. It must be. They put EMG electrodes on the muscle, and they're like, sure enough, you know, I'll be damned. These are firing more with the coaching cues, you know, with the suggestions, you know, more triceps sort of thing. And that's, I mean, the sports in general is different than bodybuilding in the fact that there's a speed component. You know? Sure. And there's a heavy load component. So, I mean, basically what I've found is that with a lifter, they can't have more than one cue in their head. You know, for me in a squat, it's tight upper back. You know, if I have all that in line, that's all I'm thinking. I'm not thinking legs at all because they're going to do their job. When I stand up, they're just going to straighten. Mm-hmm. If I have, if I'm thinking hips back, knees out, stay on your heels, upper back tight, screwed, you know, you're, yeah. you're ruined. Yeah. So you got to get them to the point where they can think about one thing, you know. And usually lifters will have one little area they mess up, and if you get that right, everything else comes in line. Um, that's about all you can do. After that, it's just too much, and then they just get clouded and and just you know dump, man. <laughs> so, no, right, exactly. And you know, again with the martial arts analogies, I was actually told. Um, from a kendo coach that, you know, you practice, you practice, practice years of repetition. And really, uh, it's not until roughly the black belt stage that you can start to use all of these patterns for actual training purposes. Like like you said, you move beyond the, the skill, developing this perfect skill to the point that you can actually 
go somewhere with it that makes any sense you know with challenging yourself and character development and perfection in different ways reach for some higher ground because you've got some of the technicalities down i guess but what about in the gym phil i mean uh is there i mean visualization would be a related topic do you ever visualize something and try to link it to the lift or to your, your muscles I don't think I do. I, I try and go mindless, man. Yeah. And I, I'd love to get my lifters to get there. It's hard to do, but I think that's where you, when a lifter can reach that point where they are mindless and they're just, okay, it's time to do work. Mm-hmm. And you just rely on the, your training. That's when you'll see they lift their best. It's when they're thinking about too much crap is when they lift their worst. So you have to reach that, that it, it sounds cliche or some or whatnot, but you know, you got to reach this mindless state where I'm just, you got a little rage and you're just doing the lift, you know, and you're yeah. not thinking about, uh, about anything. I think in training, yes. And I like one thing we talked, you talked about earlier was, you know, like in the bench or in a move, telling people to flex their lats. Well, when they don't have any, it's hard to do that. Yeah. So, that's notoriously <laughs> tough. Yeah. Training, there's some training involved in that. And I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people that literally don't know how to use their glutes and things like that. So, I mean, as a strength, on the strength end of things, yeah, there is time spent teaching people where those things are and how to use them. Um, yeah, how to feel them. Uh, yeah, and to feel them. Yeah, because they just don't know how to use them anymore, um, or they don't have them in the first place. You know, we're, we're in a buttless society, large, <laughs> large right, parts. right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think there is some time spent there, and it it goes away then when you're getting closer to high level or elite athletics. You know. Um, because you've relied on training so much. But, I mean, even in in powerlifting, at least, I'll stick to that. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of our assistance work is done that way. You know, if you have weak triceps, you're concentrating on that. If mm-hmm. you have a weak upper back, you're concentrating on that. Um, you know, I like training my my powerlifters. You know, their assistance work is done more like a bodybuilder. You know, we're building, we're usually building mass somewhere to the supportive tissue. So. Sure. Yeah. You know, from the performance side of thing, and there's a good distinction with all this, right? Yeah. I, I think the training versus uh, competing distinction is an important one. The only analogy I can think of with bodybuilders would be that, you know, a lot of the guys, uh, the smart ones will practice their routine six weeks out over and over, not just the individual poses, but even transitions between them and that sort of thing. So when you get in front of, you know, hundreds of people, you, you're not hysterical. You just kind of fall back into motor pattern mode, you know, like this, then this, then this. And then you can have fun with it because, again, you revert to your practice. You revert to the training. Uh, and I, I know there's a lot of debate probably of is bodybuilding even a sport by classical standards? And I, I get that. I get that. Um, One thing I'll say is, uh, and for us in powerlifting and weightlifting, one of the biggest things, because you're going after new PRs, is the fear factor, right? Yeah. So, like, I encourage our lifters to, A, meditate, which is really just learning to be bored, but controlling your emotions is very important, or controlling how you react to your emotions. But also visualization, in the sense that they need to visualize, you know, their P, like doing their PR. The more you actually visualize doing it, like doing it and making the lift, your brain is dumb. Yeah. It it doesn't know the difference between you actually doing it and then you visualizing that. Mm-hmm. So it kind of lowers that fear factor so that way when you do step to the bar, you know, and you have your PR on the bar, if it's brand new experience and that you haven't visualized it at all, your chances are dramatically reduced. Yeah. If you practice it and, like, you really visualized it, you might hit it on the first try, which is important for us because what if your first try is at a competition? Mm-hmm. You know, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh. If you're if you're scared of a lift, there's 99 percent chance you're going to miss it. <laughs> so yeah. Right. So better to play it through in your head. In fact, Mike Nelson, God, months ago, he mentioned something about they did a study where they had people just visualize. They didn't even physically do the motor pattern. And I'll have to ask him what happened. I think what he said was just thinking about it over and over made the muscles fire better when they went to actually go physically look. I don't know if they put EMG electrodes on the muscles or how they figured that out. But um, I'm pretty sure what he was saying was it validated 
like I said, without the physical practice at all. And I like the way you said that, Jarrell. Like, it's not the first time you're doing this then. You've already, you've already succeeded in this lift 50, 100 or more times. So it's, it's not a novel, it's not as novel to you. You know, you just step up and you just play through what you're, you already went through in your brain, you know. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is, um, kind of alludes to the glute firing thing, but there's also a lot of links with bodybuilding and whatnot. Can lifters gain better voluntary control, uh, whether it's blood flow or contracting a muscle in a certain way? Uh, Arnold used to talk about he can increase blood flow to an area just by thinking about it, you know. Uh, or I can tell you, uh, a lot of bodybuilders, you can watch them flex muscle groups like your calves, like I can flex my soleus more than my gastroc or just, you know, one or the other. And I don't think average people can really do that very well. Um, what's your thought about that, Phil? Is it – can people really get that kind of uh, increased bodily control over time like, you know, veteran lifters? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you can. Um, you know, it just comes back to the whole, you know, glutes and lats thing. I mean, a lot of people just have no clue how to use them. Um and in time, I mean, even, you know, bodybuilders get really good at flexing obscure muscles. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> right. Um, you know, that, that, yeah, there is a connection. I mean, like if I had to try and flex the inner head of my bicep, I'd have no clue how to do it. I mean, and I mean, hell, I, I guarantee you, like even fully flexing my bicep compared to like a professional bodybuilder who's practiced that move, you know, 10 million times, I bet if we hooked up you know, an EMG or something, yeah. he would be much better at it, yeah. you know, but at the same time, you know, I think I'm much better if we, if we practice a squat, I, I would have to guess that I'm firing a lot more muscle tissues at once than the average, you know, bodybuilder, you that, know, right. Yeah. Or at least in concert in some way, right. The motor patterns. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, I can probably turn on the whole body muscle as a whole much faster or much more efficiently. Mm-hmm. I have seen data, very convincing data, that if you don't practice like uh, that explosion, uh, yeah. strength and size alone won't provide that kind of dragster sort of acceleration as to people who actually do it. Yeah, we, we were able to turn on a, many more of the cubic inches at one one particular instant moment. Right. The person can't well, and like a, a sister muscles and, you know what I mean, like um, – and more efficiently, like yes. what a what a tragedy to try to move as much weight as you can without using your glutes. Those are the biggest muscles on your body, you know. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, it's, it, I think it's similar in a lot of ways too. Like where a, a bodybuilder, and obviously there are compound movements, but a bodybuilder might try to isolate movements on purpose. You know, isolate. I'm sorry, muscle groups on purpose. Um, but yeah, you've got to think. The, the people who practice coordinating, you know, the agonist, the antagonist, all the stabilizers and assisters. God, the average person can't do that. I mean, that's in a sense, that's just coordination. And that's a lot where, where you know, lifters differ from bodybuilders, I think, is, um, you know, we have to learn to fire things in concert, you know. Yeah, and yeah. We'll deal with assistance work or lightweight with that. I'll have a person that gets, you know, they're concentrating too much on legs and butt. And they get folded in their upper back in a squat or something like that. So we have to mm-hmm. light up and train them to, yeah, you're doing fine there, but you need to tighten this while you're doing this. You know, <laughs> so it's teaching them, yeah. Not only does that need to be tight, but so does that. And, and then in Olympic lift, Olympic weightlifting, it gets even more confusing because Olympic weightlifting. I and the analogy I like to use it's like somebody takes the light switch and turns it on and off really fast, and that's what you're doing. You're going from you know, this needs to be tight while this needs to be loose while this needs to move fast and that moves slow. And there's areas in powerlifting, it's simple. It's just go hard, put it down. In Olympic weightlifting, there's a, you know, squeeze fast, faster, down, you know. It's, right. It's, it's this weird, you know, it's, it's full contraction followed by turn everything off, get under the bar. Okay, now turn everything back on, you mm-hmm. know, off within 1.7 seconds. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, there's that, there's that, br- literally just like millisecond period of looseness 
yeah. of slack and powerlifters. Yeah, I don't see that in what you guys do. It's just oh, powerlifters is just a rock. Turn it on and go. You know, yeah. it, it literally is like a dragster. It's from from start line to finish line. Okay, you're done. Whereas Olympic weightlifting, the whole you know, if you're as tight as possible, there's no way you're getting back under the bar. Then you know you right. have to you hit this this split second of maximal dynamic effort followed by okay loosen back up and get under this thing in a yeah. in a fraction of a second you know i think we've got an analogy here i mean if a then if a power lifter is a dragster i think the olympic lifters would be like those grand prix racers you know you see that they go around curves and stuff they have to take their foot off the gas here and there and then yeah. plow it back onto the gas otherwise yeah. they're going to wreck yeah, uh, you know, hammering the brake for a second. Okay, now turn. Now the gas. You know, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. very complex. It's still shifting, and whereas <laughs> powerlifters just put it in gear and hammer the gas down as hard as you can. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Engage as much of that huge engine as possible. You yes, know? and that's the you know the hardest part. I've told people this at, at numerous seminars and in coaching, like with powerlifting, the hard part is just that it's learning the absolute amount of tightness needed. I mean, I don't think people understand the amount of tightness needed at, to lift up over 700 pounds. You know, it's yeah. not just it's not just the muscles that are working that are actually moving the load. It's everything else supporting that movement. Right. Yeah. It has to be just this insane amount of tightness. Tension. Yeah. Hard, yeah. There's tension that's just off the charts. And it's this whole once you well, okay once you're tight okay now get four stages tighter. Now you're now you're approaching where you need to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the hard thing to teach in, in powerlifting is just that very uncomfortable amount of tightness. So, and you know what? I, although I'm not a powerlifter, I never was. But uh, even for myself, when I did get back into some of the kendo stuff, which again is more like the Olympic lifting, you know, it's it's almost like fly fishing in parts of this, as you're using this, you know, the, the boke and the wooden sword. And uh, I, I mentioned this on the show before, but there was a Japanese teacher. He was over here. Uh, doing a seminar and he's like he's kept you know pointing like to my face because there was a huge language barrier but he's like you have to less tense less tense you know don't do this and even for me it's it was difficult for that because i don't think bodybuilders unless you're doing a really heavy squat and let's face it there are bodybuilders who they do some pretty brutally heavy work uh but yeah then you got to unlearn uh, those firing patterns and you know it, it's it's just funny how much the mind game and let's face it all movement is going to start in like uh prefrontal cortex you think about the movement then your motor cortex sends the message down the descending corticospinal tracks and out to the muscle and then you've got these spinal reflexes that are affecting how hard you can track the, the muscle as well uh but it's all starting in your head you know there's got to be that link i think between what's psychology and what's biology well they're going to connect there somewhere. Yeah. I face a lot of that since I've taken up boxing. You know, a lot in a lot of ways, powerlifting helped me by giving me a ton of muscle mass. But in a lot of ways, you know, it's hurt me through the the patterns I've learned. You yeah. know, I need to be loose and fast in right. or in, yeah. in boxing, and I need to be on my toes. Whereas the last fifteen years, I've spent on my heels. So it's things like that. It's little little things and same thing with throwing you know i had to the biggest thing i have to learn in both those sports compared to powerlifting was okay loosen up and breathe you know everything i've done is big breath okay get tight yeah you know, hold the breath great maximum effort yeah whereas in 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 fighting arts it's it's speed you know right so. yeah and you're right i that's where i mean let's face it you can be a bodybuilder and be very unathletic even uncoordinated frankly um yeah. I mean, now you can argue that the benching and the squatting that the power the bodybuilders do takes skill, and of course it does. But y you put a lot of them into a true setting, like when you're talking about throwing. Yeah. Well, that's an athletic event, and I just don't think all bodybuilders automatically have to display extreme athleticism. But that's what makes it curious and kind of cool to me too. Is you know, it's muscle focused, yeah. and it opens up uh, a sport, a quote unquote sport to. A lot of people who might not be that coordinated, frankly, yeah. you know, but yeah. they could have small joints and a fantastic shape. They could look like a Greek god, for God's sake, you yeah. know. So it's just it's an interesting almost dilemma uh, when you try to make that. Uh, is it an art? Is it a sport? You know, and and all that kind of stuff. But 
Well, I, I know we lost Jarrell here, so let's we can wind up here. I just thought it would be fun to talk about that mind and the muscle concept and where it fits in the different muscle sports. Like you said, lats, notoriously tough to fire lats if you don't have much meat on your back, you know, or glutes because they're kind of forgotten posterior chain. And uh, maybe listeners go into the gym this week and think about that. Put your mind in the muscle or your mind in the movement or – if you've really got the skill base down, go with the no mind approach, you know, well, and, and I, let it happen. A good argument is, I mean, when you try anything new, you know, let's say you go from bodybuilding to something else. The the first stages, at least, are all mental. It's learning something. You know, it's sure. relearning the brain to do a different move. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get a, gain a, a real appreciation for other sports by actually trying it. You know, it's like, wow, this is a lot harder than I thought. Like if I if I tried to do a, a posing routine that was actually worthy of being on stage, I bet it'd be really hard for me for a while. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right. So just learn those moves. You know, you need to turn this. No, you need to get that there. You know, so. Absolutely. It, and I've, I've read in the sports psychology uh, articles and books before that you can either associate or dissociate. And I suppose if you're a runner, that's true. Like a runner could feel every step and purposely, you know, get into it or he or she could just sort of, zone out and because let's face it jogging walking these are motor patterns that you'd have to think about every motion you know like <clears throat> when you go up and down the steps you don't think flex quad okay now little hamstring there goes the glutes oh calves you, you, you just launch the motor pattern and you move up the stairs and so i think some things like that like a runner could dissociate very easily in that sort of thing uh i don't know it's just a whole i know i'd love to get more uh, psych people you know, yeah. on the program here because it's just it's very cool to th- look at the different approaches, I guess. Like your walking analogy, I mean, after my recent hip replacement, I literally had to mentally learn how to walk again, you know, right. in a different way. And that was tough, you know, and it was all mental. I had to think about every single step um, because if not, I'd revert and do it wrong. Yeah. And now it's getting better and I'm able to just do it mindless. Well, like so. you said, your leg is actually, your foot's pointing straight forward. I mean, that's a different yeah. limb. You got a different limb. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, I mean, it was it was a very mental at, at the beginning. And, you know, I'll catch myself now and again now. Uh, straighten your foot out, you know, this and that. Mm-hmm. Strike with your heel. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So, well, anyways. Cool stuff. Have a good one. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums, and certainly you can request products, and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of 
sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.